you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians and the second chapter of the book of Ephesians as we continue our study in that book. And by the way, happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers who are here. I was listening to the radio the other day, and the fellow on the radio said there's something that is woven into a mother's DNA of how she protects that baby that God gives to her like a she-bear. And then I saw, and this is fascinating, at least it was to me, I'm going to take it in. Uh, There was a mama elephant and a baby elephant walking next to her. Uh, Baby elephants, maybe this tall. And they walked through uh, this puddle of water, which you couldn't see through it. It was so murky and muddy. And there was a crocodile in that water. And that crocodile grabbed that baby elephant and that mama went crazy, making loud noises. So what she did, she started stomping in the water. The baby elephant came up. She continued to stomp and continued to scream. And I could see the crocodile got behind her. He left, went away. But that's a mama. That's a mama taking care of her children. So we praise God for our mothers throughout the years of our lives. And the mothers here, happy Mother's Day to all of you. If you would please look at the um, second book of the book of Ephesians, and we will start reading and verse 8. And we'll read down through, let's see, verse 17. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Hear the Word of the Lord. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God purposed beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. For he's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances so that he may create in himself a new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to those who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God. Please pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning, that he would bless us on both sides of the pulpit. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we do plead with you that you would be working as I preach your word, grace upon grace in my own life and my own heart, O oh God that you would give me uh, the help of your spirit, 
that you would give me passion and unction, that you would give me clarity as I preach this text and pray for the congregation, O Lord, that you would bring your word to bear upon them. Father, we pray if any are here outside of faith, that you would draw them to yourself, that you'd open up their eyes to see the gospel of Christ, the clarity of it, and to embrace it. I know, God, any that are here that are caught up in lawlessness, that you would bring uh, the uh, grace of repentance. And, Lord, as we go through this text, to recognize that our, one of our certainly characteristics uh, in response to the gospel should be gratitude. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And I've said before, and I think that it's true, uh, that um, some of us, as we are Christians, as we fail to remember the great value of our redemption and what God has done for us, what Christ has done for us, and where we were prior to uh, our conversion, the gospel can become ho-hum to us. And we so when we come in and we sit and worship and we don't have an excitement, we don't have a thrill to be in the presence of Christ and be in the presence of God's people because it is something that we have begun to take for granted. Well, the text this morning, and Paul has a, a significant reason for reminding these uh, Gentiles of where they were prior to their conversions. And it is to stir up within them gratitude for God's great work of grace. Estrangement. When people are estranged one from another, there's always what would enter that a certain amount of hostility. People are not estranged from one another because they love one another. They're estranged from one another because there is a hostility one toward the other. And when that occasion occurs, they may commit a hyenas crime uh, that can be so severe that it ends a relationship and they separate for the rest of their lives. I know people that have done that. Uh, parents and children, siblings to sibling, it has happened. Cousins, friends, whatever the case may happen to be, there may be an event that occurs that they separate, even between husbands and wives. Let me tell you this. Christian couples get divorced. Don't think they don't. Christian couples get divorced. David Miller told me about a couple at Briarwood. Was, he was David Miller. Was, I'm sorry. David Miller was an elder here. He was one of the founding members. He was here for many, many years. A lot of people have no idea who David Miller is. Uh, he's still alive. He's doing fine. And uh, he lives, I think, over close to New Braunfels in that area somewhere. Uh, but he told me that there was a situation in the church, and this man left his wife, and the church did nothing about it. There was no discipline exercised over this. So Christian couples do end up getting divorced. That's why we pray for our marriages. That's why we plead for God to bless us, to help us to love one another as husbands are supposed to love their wives, the wives respect the husband, and so forth, recognizing that that does indeed happen. I know you all have probably seen Duck Dynasty, uh, unless you don't have a television. Uh, Jace, who is, I think, maybe the third born of the boys, uh, they've started a new business. They're treasure hunters now. It's very interesting. And they were on some program talking about what they're doing now. And Jace's wife said, he's bringing none of that stuff into my house, the stuff they find, none of it into my house. She does not like being out in the dirt. She does not like being outside. She can't stand being in the woods. That's his wife. And Jace said this, the only thing that we have in common is Jesus. 
And I hope that's enough. Well, it has been for many, many years now. Christ is the binding agent that everyone needs in their lives. Very, very different. And yet, uh, Christ does bring them together. Well, when someone does separate, and there is the intention of never seeing one another again, there can be, and there is uh, sometimes, a repentance, and they get together again. I'll give you an example. Don Johnson is an actor. He became very famous playing in a TV show in the 80s called Miami Vice. He's been married to this girl named um, Melody Griffith twice. Well, they divorced for both times, but they were, got together twice. So I'm sure the first time they divorced, they had this idea that they were never going to get together again. But then what has to happen for somebody for that to happen? Both parties have to be willing to give it another try. You can't just force somebody into it. Both parties have to be willing to give it another try. Well, concerning redemption, there's one party, pay attention, there's one party that acts in redemption. That's God. That is clear throughout this text. For grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So the salvation is from beginning to end the work of God in your life. Because you're not willing. Prior to conversion, you're not willing. Prior to grace, you're not willing. Prior to grace, you don't care. You don't care that you're not a Christian. You don't care what God wants, if you think he even exists. So it is all a work of grace in the life of the believer. And Paul tells us that throughout the Scriptures. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So it happens to see this morning that because God has drawn us to himself in loving kindness, it will always, always... Keep us in his hands. We have the responsibility to live out our faith, giving praise for that grace. And again, if your faith, if your walk with Christ is ho-hum, you have forgotten where you were. You've forgotten what God has done for you. You've forgotten what Christ has done for you. It ought to be thrilling uh, to open up the scriptures and to read the word of God. And so we pray before we ever do that, Lord, help me to understand the text. Help me to recognize your grace and kindness to me and how I am a debtor to your grace. And three things this morning. The reality of alienation from God, the results of alienation from God, and the remedy of alienation from God. Those three things. The first thing is the reality of alienation from God. In the above verses in the other part of chapter 1 and in chapter 2, Paul points out the greatness of redemption. What a great blessing it is that we have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God raised him from the dead, and he lives forever to intercede on our behalf. This is good news. This is great news. These are things that they're saying amen and yes. And that salvation is a gift of God. It's not anything that we can do, anything we possibly ever could do, uh, because we can't. It is a matter of his kindness to us. And we understand, if we says, by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the wonderful working of God. Salvation is never merited. Salvation is never earned. It cannot be earned. Salvation is never deserved. It is God's unmerited favor and kindness coming to us. Your salvation, as you sit here this morning and you're claiming to be a Christian, your salvation is all of grace. We need to own that, you see. It's not just these words we read in the text. 
We have to own this. My salvation is all of grace. My salvation is all of God's kindness. My salvation is all of God's workings. And personally, I did not deserve any aspect of it. We see these things bring smiles to our faces. It should make you rejoice. It should make you happy. Great news. This is good news, right? This is good news. Smile. This is great news. Christ has redeemed me from God's wrath and condemnation. Not only has he done that, he's provided me a place in heaven. So the words of Jesus, as he's talking to uh, Martha about um, uh, her, uh, her brother Lazarus, uh, he who lives and believeth in me will never die. Do you believe this, he says to her. Do you believe this? He who lives and believes in me will never die. So we can say for ourselves, according to what the Bible teaches, we will never die in the ultimate sense of the word. For in the book of Hebrews, we go to a place where the souls of men are made perfect. That's what happens at our death. Like Jesus said to the thief next to him, Today you shall be with me in the grave, resting until the resurrection. That's not what he says. If, you didn't, if that didn't do something to you, you're not listening. Today you shall be with me in paradise, is what Christ said to the thief on the cross. Today you shall be with me in glory, you shall be with me in heaven. But then he does this, the Apostle Paul. Therefore remember, verse 11, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Why is he doing this? He's given them this great message, this great encouragement in the letter that he's written. You have salvation in Jesus, all because of God's grace. He loved you. You're saved by grace, not by faith. Now, why is he doing this to these individuals after he's getting instructed them the great benefits? Now he asks them to think back to where you were, he says, prior to your conversion. Well, for one thing. The Gentiles were separated from God's grace by lineage. They were not a part of the nation of Israel. In Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, all the nations in the world will be blessed through you. He has a very special relationship with Abraham as he calls Abraham into himself. And we have to recognize this is the beginning of the covenant of God made with Abraham. Genesis 12, I'm sorry, I don't have a place marked, I have to turn to it. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. There is in that that seed showing us that there's going to be a universal benefit of the gospel but it begins with a promise to abraham and we go over into genesis 17 and abraham god says to abraham you look up at the sky so your descendants going to be he gives him the covenant sign of the circumcision and it shall be applied to every male that is born in the nation of israel it was a big issue after the church began to go among the gentiles because the gentiles were not circumcised and so you had jews saying look you got to be circumcised you got to go through this procedure if you don't, uh, you're not really saved. You, you, you trusted in Jesus, that's a good thing to do, but you also have to have this Old Testament right applied. We did, and it was commanded. Therefore, you have to have it done to you 
I said, well, I don't even remember the church has met. And they said, no, this is not necessary for them because it's about faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. And by the way, the Old Testament sign of circumcision was never intended to give them assurance of salvation. It showed their faithfulness to being submissive. It showed they belonged to the covenant of people of God. But it was not a means of salvation, nor was it ever intended to be. It was a reminder that they were in Christ, I mean in God, by covenant, not that they were necessarily saved at all. There were great benefits, you see, as well. Deuteronomy 7, 6, and 9, uh, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, the speaking of Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples. Listen to this. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loves you. That is, keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers and that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery out of the land of Egypt. And in the book of the New Testament, he tells the disciples to go out among the Jews, not the Gentiles. You also remember that it says in the book of John, he came into his own, that was the Jews, as the promised Messiah, and they did not accept him. Love rather to be in darkness than in the light. Well, that's what it was. And you remember Jesus said to the woman at the well, uh, the woman would say, well, you, you, you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place to worship. We say here, and our land is a place to worship. And Christ said, well, you ain't got it. The day's coming is neither here nor in Jerusalem would be the place to worship. Those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But even in those days, you recognize there was a place where the temple was in Jerusalem, and that's where the sacrifices were made. That's where God dwelt in a particular way with His people. And Christ is saying, that's all coming to an end. That's all coming to an end. We also know and understand this before you think that there were no one outside of the nation of Israel that was ever saved. Well, they were. They were. I'll mention one name. Nineveh. The capital of Assyria. Remember, God sent Jonah there to preach, and Jonah preached, and he was upset because they were converted. So it was not simply Israel that was being saved in the Old Testament. There were other groups as well that were outside of the nation of Israel. Well, the result of alienation from God is hopelessness. Let me tell you something. If you're outside of Christ right now, Where's your hope for when you die? Perhaps you think you're not going to die. You are. Where's your hope? Where's your hope day by day? Do you live your life existing in a world of chance? There's no one to govern. There's no one to guide. There's no one to help. It's just kind of a day-by-day meaningless circular history going by. By By nature... We who are apart from God live in hopelessness because we live outside, and they lived outside the covenant relationship and lived without hope. If you're without Christ, you're without hope in the world. That's what it says in the New Testament. So they, because they lived apart from Christ, uh, they were hopeless. They had no knowledge of the Messiah. They had no knowledge of the promised Messiah. They had no knowledge of their need for redemption. Israel, primarily Israel, had the word of God. That's why the apostle Paul, when he was converted, what did he do? He went out to the Gentiles and preached all over the place and established churches all over the place. That's what he did. 
Well, that was his job, take the word to the Gentiles. So the text that Charles read this morning showed us that the gospel was intended to ultimately to go to all nations. And so we see the gospel spreading throughout the entire world. I have been on some mission trips, most of you know, like just week-long mission trips, but there's something refreshing about going into an area and going to worship with people. You might not speak their language, but you're worshiping the same God. There's a sense of unity there when that happens. In Uganda, when I was in the Africa preaching, again, being at the African Bible University, and most over there spoke English, uh, you were, uh, there was a sense of unity there among the people of God there as we all worship and serve the same God. So these Gentiles were aliens. They were born idolaters. They were born without hope. And they were without God. No hope for pardon from sin, no hope for heaven, no hope for peace, no hope for the resurrection of the dead. But when he writes here, they were without God. They weren't without gods. Listen, by nature, we are religious people. By nature. And why is that? Because we bear the image of God. In our own day and age, people may put their hope in technology. People may put their hope in medicine to keep me going. And I'm not saying don't take medicine. I take a bunch of it. I'm not saying that at all. But the reason I continue to draw breath into my lungs is because God continues to give me life. That's it. And the day is going to come when he's going to decide not to do that anymore. And when it's going to be, I have no idea. But that day is going to happen. And so I depend on the Lord day by day to give me life. Again, uh, these individuals were polytheistic. Uh, they worshipped all kinds of gods. The Greeks had all kinds of gods that they worshipped. But they didn't worship the God. And the gods they worshipped, listen to this, they couldn't hear, they couldn't see, they couldn't answer prayer. They were idols. And they benefited them absolutely nothing. One commentator said this, the Gentiles were so completely and utterly removed from all the institutions of God's grace, not, not a part of the Old Testament saints, not a part of Israel, not a part of the blessings they knew, not a part of the revelation that God had given to them. The Gentiles were so completely and so utterly removed from all institutions of God's grace and the hope and that hope that they may ever become reached by them seems groundless. The Jews did not believe that the Gentiles were going to be included in the people of God. Many of them did. Even the disciples, right? Christ is going to, to, uh, to Jerusalem. The disciples are sh- uh, hollering and hooping and having a big time. And they think Christ is going to go and make himself king. And he's going to overthrow Rome. And they'd be like they were in the days of, uh, of Israel or David. Like Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. I don't think they understood that. They seem to have forgotten that. Last thing is uh, that the remedy of alienation from God is seen in these verses. It's through Christ. You notice the contrast between verse 12 and verse um, 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who are once a far off have been brought near. In the Old Testament, 
the nations around him did not have the benefits that the Jews had. They didn't have it. They didn't have the temple. They didn't have priests. didn't have prophets. They did not have the information that was being needed to really have a relationship with God. They didn't have it. But now, when Paul says they have taken down the dividing wall, what he's talking about, that Gentiles could go into the temple area, but they could not go past a particular wall. They couldn't go in there because they were not Jews. Now we are one in Christ, and we read in the Scriptures there that Christ has made them one by his life, by his death, by his resurrection. Those who were far off have been brought near. I've got so much more to say, but it looks like it's not going to be able to happen. I'm going to read verse Romans 9, 6 through 8 to you. But it's not as though it's talking about um, the Gentiles rejecting the gospel. I mean, I'm sorry, the Jews. But it's not as though the word of God has fell. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they're his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. What does that mean? It means it's according not to lineage, but to the promise of God. Right? Because there are people who are not by any way, any means, related to Abraham that are included in the covenant of promise. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offsprings. We are the true Israel. We are the true Israel through Jesus Christ. We're the true Israel. And so in the Old Testament, you had people within the nation of Israel that were not believers. Look at the stuff they did. Look at how they acted. It's like they had never heard anything about God, never heard anything about uh, obedience. And Moses is up on the mountain, and Aaron constructs this, this uh, uh, bull, put gold over it. And he says to when Moses comes down, why would you do this? He said, well, I put the gold in it, and it just came out. Poof, it just was there. Human nature never changes. There were people among the Israelites who did not love God, who did not have faith in God, who do not seek to honor God. There are people in the church today who are not converted. There are people in the church today who sit in a preaching that should not be in the pulpit. Certainly should not be there because they don't preach the gospel. And if someone's not preaching the gospel, they're not preaching the word of God. And let me say this. If a sermon is filled with condemnation, condemnation, condemnation without grace, it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. You can beat people up. If you don't give them the gospel, what's the point of it? I want you to feel badly is why I'm doing this. No. You want them to feel saved is why you're doing this. So you preach the gospel of Christ. As Paul here in this text, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'll have to finish this next week. Unless I want to go to 1230. Anybody? No? I could do that. So what do we learn from this? Well, the one thing that we can learn that the uh, salvation that we have is all owing to the grace of our God. His grace and His grace alone. What should our reaction be to that? What should be gratitude? We should be thrilled at the name of Jesus. It should thrill us because through His work, through His intercession, you're not going to hell if you're trusting Him. If you're not trusting Him, you are going to hell. That's just the fact of the matter. 
That's not my opinion. That's not my thought. That's what the Bible tells us. If you're outside of Christ, you're not trusting Jesus for your salvation, you'll be one of those who, when Christ appears, will cry for the mountains to fall on you. You don't have to stay there. All you have to do, Lord Jesus, save me from my sin. Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, help me. Grant to me grace upon grace and save me from my sins. And I said one time when one of my grandchildren joined the church, now you are involved in the battle. Then the struggles start because you live for Christ. You seek to please Christ. You seek to be obedient to Christ in all things. But the great news is, though we fail and you will fail, he will not in any way ever desert us or shake us off. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he holds you in his hand, and no one can pluck you out of that hand. Suzanne Adam, a lady used to be here a long time ago, said this, you can't even jump out of his hand. Not that you may want to, you shouldn't want to. So we leave here as those who recognize what a great grace we have in the Lord Jesus Christ for by grace you to save through faith. And where we were at one time before conversion and where we are now, all because of the grace and kindness of our great God. Let's pray.